0: So check that out. Finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email to Project at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get rolling. Hi, I'm here with Sonia Mathura. How are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm good.
0: You, you posted a picture of a beach yesterday in Trinidad. I was so jealous.
1: Oh my gosh, yes, the weather was perfect for it. It still is perfect for that beach, one of our main beaches in Trinidad.
0: Yeah, it makes me want to come down there and take that RCA course.
1: Oh, you should. Oh, you definitely should.
0: <laughs>
1: I will make sure you get to and from the beach perfectly.
0: It sounds pretty nice. So, Sonia, what it is, it is. So, Sonia why don't you give us a little background on who you are and what uh, kind of how you got into the reliability game.
1: Okay, well, I am Sanya Muturo, and I am the managing director and senior consultant at Strategic Reliability Solutions Limited. We're based in Trinidad and Tobago where we have the best beaches, of course. Um, My background is actually in engineering. I have my B.Sc. in electrical and computer. And then after some time of working in the field and getting to know this awesome mechanical background, I decided to pursue my MSc in Engineering and asset management. So uh, by pursuing that, uh, I decided, you know, maybe I should, you know, form my own company. And I started my company in August, 2017. But I think the, the spin off of that is that I realized after working with uh, Shell Lubricants for about five years that we have a lot of problems in reliability. <laughs> <laughs> I was faced with so many different aspects of it. And uh, I realized that we need some help. We definitely, definitely need some help. And uh, because of my background with lubrication and all of these great things with reliability, I um I decided to pursue my um, thesis in the root causes of lubrication failures and critical components in an ammonia complex. Because what I realized is that uh, a lot of the ammonia complexes in Trinidad suffer from varnishing. So that was kind of my drive because I've always wanted to solve why we have so many issues with the ammonia plants compared to the power plants. So that was my main drive behind choosing that as my thesis topic. And uh, by choosing that, uh, I realized after some time, after working with some consultants and getting some more information globally, that we need to step up our reliability game in Trinidad. And that was one of the main causes for me. It starts in my own business. And uh, the main drive behind my business is to get persons in Trinidad and by extension the Caribbean to the place that it needs to be regarding reliability because we talk about it. We say reliability is awesome, it's great, but we do nothing about it. And <laughs> we attend all these con. Don't worry, you're not the only ones. <laughs> I know, because I'm like, why? Why is it that we throw around this word so much and we don't even put the emphasis that we want to put into our businesses regarding reliability? So I figured we needed some help. So that's why I come in and I try to help organizations step up their reliability So what kind of
0: (laughs) yeah? So so what kind of services does Strategic Reliability Solutions offer?
1: Well, we mainly do training and consultancy, and uh, like I I can't do a cookie cutter uh, session for one of my clients because I prefer to go into their business, uh, consult with them, discuss what sort of problems they're having assess where they want their operations to be and you'd be surprised that a lot of companies don't know exactly where they want their operations to be so that can be the tricky part just assessing what they need analyzing their needs and then making the recommendations to provide their training or come in to help them get stuff done that they never realized that they needed to have done, like a lubrication audit, because they just use whatever oil they feel like using. (laughs) And then getting getting them into, you know, implementing oil analysis programs and doing some site assessments, because they have some areas of concern that they weren't aware of because they've become accustomed to it. It's a norm for them. They they pass the... You know, the guy using the same funnel for the gear oil, the turbine oil, the motor oil when they're decanting and they think that is normal. And I just see that and I cringe. <laughs> I mean, it,
0: it's normal. I, I see it all the time.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, that's so not normal.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we just we try to get them into the zone of reliability thinking and get them to really understand what reliability means to them or what it should mean. <laughs>
0: so why don't we dig in a little bit more? So you mentioned that people don't really know where they're going. Like where when I go out and do oh audits, the, the primary thing I see is people just tell me, we want to be world-class in reliability or in lubrication or in whatever.
1: Yes.
0: So, so uh-huh. you see that a lot. So where do... Where do most plants that you see kind of actually need to be? Like, what does that mean for them?
1: Well, for them, they want to be at a point where they have their levels of production up, of course, but not as much downtime. So they're trying to strike a balance between production and maintenance. And I know that is like the main, I want to say the main war between most operating plants they need to have a certain amount of production but they also need to make sure that their maintenance is in check so a lot <laughs> of them struggle to find that balance and you have the maintenance manager going up against the operations manager and it's just infinity war all over again
0: <laughs> yeah that that's uh, that is the big issue
1: it is it is so for a lot of people in Trinidad uh where at the point where some people know what they want. They know that reliability exists <laughs> and they're a little bit of a forward forward thinking company. So they're trying to get, get into, you know, making sure that their wrench time is actually relatable to their job time or has a good ratio. Whereas there are others who just say, if it's not broken, don't fix it. I'm not wasting any time. <laughs> and the end. <laughs> and they just leave it right there. So a lot of, I think a lot of it is basically to do with education the public. And I think education is a first step. So once they know that it exists and this is something that they need to strive towards, they will start seeing the benefits of actually including reliability into their culture.
0: <laughs> so I got a, I got a kind of an interesting question for you. And and I was asked a few weeks ago about it, and I was kind of been thinking about it for a while. So it, if you could set up a company uh, on site that's running mm-hmm. like a plant, how would you set up the organization in order to see reliability success? So like – With that interaction between operations and maintenance, how do you kind of solve that issue?
1: Oh, that is always a bit tricky because different plants would have different types of operations. So there are the plants that uh, their focus is mainly producing products, whereas there are those where the focus is more uh, maintenance and getting the job done. So if you have to let them see the reliability culture, what I would tend to do for something like that is chart your expenses. So it all goes back down to your dollar signs because yeah. management, they need, to see some sort of, they need to see some sort of dollar signs to realize, okay, this is the direction that I need to go into. So when you start charting, I would just do background information first at least the last typically three, three years or so, just chart how much time, how much money was spent in maintenance in terms of unplanned shutdowns or just general maintenance. Yep. So you're going to ca- sort of categorize those, those things yeah. and then link it back to your production levels. If it is that you had unplanned maintenance, what did that cost the company? And if it is that you should have planned for it in advance, how much you could have saved the company? So when you put it into dollar signs and you try to pitch it to your management, well, this is how much you could have saved if you had started a reliability culture, started doing things properly in terms of planning and getting the criticality of your assets, health, in check, in terms of having the right spare parts and not trying to order something (laughs) um, to be air freighted in within one day (laughs) because you had a breakdown that you did not plan for. So I think that is the direction that I usually take things in. Show them the dollar signs because that is what they look for. If you tell them about wrench time, whatnot, they're gonna be like, I don't know what you're talking (laughs) about. (laughs) Absolutely. So just show them the dollar signs, and that's where they start thinking.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned um, you did a thesis in root causes of lubrication failures. So why don't you like what kind of findings did oh you get, gosh. and like what what did you what were the big outcomes for that?
1: So one of my main findings for that was that. A lot of people don't know what they're doing when it comes to <laughs> analysis. <laughs> I think that was my general finding. <laughs> and what I realized is that uh, a lot of people place emphasis on the oil. And they say, okay, well, the oil is a problem. Let's, we are getting varnish in this. Yeah. Let's just change all the oil. But what they don't stop to think about is that the oil is performing a function. The oil, just like anything else in life, has limitations, and it has telltale signs when it's um, in conditions or environments that it should not be in. So basically, the oil is telling by vanishing. The oil is telling you you have a problem that needs to be fixed, and we can't operate under these conditions. But our operators are like, okay, we don't really care what you're saying, and we're just gonna change all the oil. And what happens is that a lot of the times the problem remains because your main problem would have been environmental or some sort of uh, process condition that changed that yeah. you weren't even aware of. So the main finding with the ammonia um, turbines were that we needed to discover what the varnish was made up of, what its composition was. Because a lot of times people think, well, varnish is just varnish, but it's not. It actually could be organic, non-organic, and then you get down into the different details of all the different types that it can go from there. So one of your main things with assessing uh, a lubrication failure is to actually analyze the composition of the varnish and that is where you'd be able to start doing your actual root cause analysis rather than just change out the (laughs) oil so one of the main things that we found is that uh oxidation was one of the main causes not necessarily the root cause but the main cause and when the oxidation occurred in the system it produced the byproducts and one of the byproducts was the carboxylic acids and carboxylic acids react with ammonia to give you these primary amides and we have the varnish (laughs) so once we've figured that out the main thing would be how do we stop the acids from getting into the system or how do we stop the ammonia from getting into the system or what can we do for that and What I try to work out with the plant would be to test for the presence of the acids. And if you know the acids are present, then you know that you should have you would have reactions with the ammonia to lead up to the varnish. So do that test, that acid test, and then do some sort of chemical filtration, you know, so that you filter all the acids because because of their process. Ammonia was getting into the lubrication system. And it's more difficult to change their process than to add some sort of modification to a filtration system. So that that's the thing. Each plant would have a different type of solution, only their plant could have, because of their processes. And it's 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 really it's really very amazing. That, you know, you have to tailor these solutions. You can't just use whatever works in some other parts of the world is going to work here. You have to tailor it according to your conditions. So I think a lot of people miss that part. And they think, okay, well, you know, it works over there. It's going to work here. And the end. (laughs) So that was one of my main findings, you know. Decide properly what the root cause is. And then deal with it from there.
0: So what you're saying was it's not just an oil issue that you didn't have a synthetic. It was it was a primary cause issue.
1: Yes, it was. But of course, you know, our operators are, you know, they are who they are. (laughs) They choose the simplest and the easiest way out, but they don't stop to think about the conditions. So I would always go with once you have lubricant degradation, find out your main cause. If it is that it's your equipment that's given the wrong conditions or what, if it is that the guy that is um, topping up the sump is using the wrong, like using a, a dirty filter, a dirty funnel or using the same uh, decanter that he used for motor oils into your gearbox. So yeah, there are some crazy things that happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep, I, I see a lot of them too.
1: Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! So crazy.
0: <laughs> so you you did mention that people don't know how to do root cause analysis correctly. So how why do you break it down? Where are they how are they not doing it correctly, and how do you do it correctly?
1: Well, I think. Our main concern, especially within the industrial environment, is we need a quick fix and we need to get the plant back up and running in as least time as possible. So a lot of people don't, they tend not spend enough time thinking about what could have actually caused the problem and they just go with, um, on the surface, a quick scratch, okay, well, Perhaps it's this, and I'm going to knock the five Y. I'm going to knock it because I really don't want like the five Y theory <laughs> where people use that because I can get a five Y. So you know, I could make that, tailor that such that the main the root cause would be that I didn't get to do my nails on a Friday. <laughs> And it could be a lot of a lot of people don't realize that it's about perception, it's opinionated, it's not fact based. So I would say that while we need to we understand that yes, we're in an industrial environment, time is money, and every time that we have downtime that's unplanned, we have to pay for it in the long run in terms of losses. We also need to realize that we have to decide what the actual cause is. And doing that, you need to gather all your information, know what you need, what happened, what did not happen, what was the changes in the environment. If it is that um, there was something that randomly happened on that day, you need to document. I think a lot of people don't document. And when the issue happens, they just focus on, cleaning up the area and moving forward <laughs> i think that's the main thing let's let clear it up let's go let's swap out a pump or something and get this running but they don't take the time to realize okay i need to document what happened here and really put these things together do a proper logic tree decide all the possible causes that could have happened for this event to occur and then explore the different options. And one of the main things is that some people think that they have to do it alone, uh, do the root cause alone. But it's, I always prefer to have it done in a team so that you get different opinions. You have a cross-sectional team, people come in with different, like the safety guy is gonna realize, oh my gosh, they really didn't follow any of the procedures that we told them. Whereas the operation guy is going to be like, no, they didn't turn the temperature up by 10 degrees. That's why this happened. So you have a a very um, mixed uh, room of people that can contribute to the different causes that can actually finally drill down into your root cause. So that's my main explanation there.
0: (laughs) That's a pretty good one. Now, I I guess I kind of, it seems like it's a really expensive process. Yes. Now, how do you decide what, like, what failures you would do an RCA on?
1: Well, I think that would have to lie with your RCA team. So they need to decide what is critical to us, what sort of failures are critical to us. Is it the one that just cost us a million dollars or the one that will cost us $10? They will definitely shift towards the million dollar one, but what what is important? <laughs> that's that's the thing. You have to decide what your key determinant factors are, and uh, these would be different for different plants. So different plants maybe, uh, their uh focus could be safety. So they want to make sure that they have zero incidents on of lost time. So their root cause investigations could be centered around any sort of lost time injuries that they may have so it would be tailored to what is important to them and definitely looking at uh chronic failures things that happen over and over again but we don't take the time to actually correct them and if we were to document the amount of losses in terms of the the money aspect of it we would realize that we're losing a lot of money on these small chronic failures, but because they've been happening continuously, we end up losing a lot more money compared to if we had just corrected the problem in the beginning and not have these failures happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like one example that I have on that was, uh, when I was working at tech, we had, uh, like, we have these big mining shovels that are electrical shovels. And so uh-huh. they were getting electrical faults probably at least a couple times a day. And the fault was not, oh. like, it's not a major issue. It only, you know, it it really just causes the shovel to reboot. It's like a 30-second to two-minute kind of issue. Mm-hmm. but But just the frequency that it was happening at made it more significant than You know, sometimes when you would lose an engine and the truck would be down for, you know, two (laughs) weeks or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just something where a lot of people don't think about it and they really need to like it comes back to how good are your KPIs? How are you measuring your faults? Like, are you really on top of what's causing downtime in your plant or in your on your assets?
1: Okay, that makes a lot of sense because a lot of people don't pay attention to that.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, they, they don't. And, and and one thing is, how would you know that that's causing, like, costing you millions of dollars a year unless you measure it?
1: Yes, definitely. You need to measure. That's the thing. And a lot of people don't measure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to switch gears a little bit and, and maybe let's talk a little bit about lubrication. So what kind of... What, like what do you see out there in Trinidad um, at the plants that you work with? Like what kind of lubrication issues do they have, and how do you go about fixing them?
1: Oh boy, they have so many. <laughs> uh, so a lot of the times, uh, some one of the main issues or more of the streamlined issues is that they've done or they've used a particular lubricant for x amount of years and they just want to continue using that not knowing that in the beginning they started off with the wrong lubricants so (laughs) i think yeah and i've seen this time and time again and i'm just i'm baffled by it because nobody decided to check any manual to realize okay well is this really the right thing that we're using so a lot of people especially gearboxes i've seen them use like a a 220 grade oil when they should have been using them 100 and i'm like no if you are using a heavier oil then that means you're putting a bit more of a strain on the gears so whereas the gearbox should have lasted you 10 years it's now gonna last you five or three years because you've you've pushed it to that point because you didn't use the right oil in the beginning so i think Um, using the right product is one of the main main lubrication issues that I would see and then contamination oh boy, contamination (laughs) there's so many different things that people do in that contamination uh, gosh, that contamination area, they just put things all over the place Um, they don't use they don't have separated decanters or dispensers and I see I've gotten calls about people using the wrong oil in the wrong application just because they didn't take the time to read properly. So those are just some of the, the general issues, and I know we'll find those all over. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, even – so So last week I was at a fertilizer plant, and it was one of the better – like, it was one of the best programs I've seen. and. Uh, the lube specialist mm-hmm. he he went around and he painted so just for the greasing he painted the the caps for the the zerk fittings uh, they had three different colors so mm-hmm. he painted them those three different colors depending on what grease was supposed to go in there
1: oh that's nice
0: <laughs> yeah and, and even him he was saying like operators come and ask him what grease is supposed to go in there oh, no. or they put the wrong grease in. So you can try to make it um, as simple as possible. But at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. it's really it's really on us to be out there and making sure that everyone knows like we need to teach people and we need to be kind of accessible for them. Yes. Uh, If they have any questions, they need to they need to feel free to come and contact us and really as reliability people like we have to be out there and we have to be helping them.
1: Yes, definitely. I could agree with you 100% there. 100%. <laughs> so
0: so when we're talking a little bit about oil analysis, um, like is oil analysis a technology that's used a lot with the, the plants that you work at?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, yes and no. So a lot of the plants, they are trying to adopt a proper oil analysis program where they monitor it continuously whereas there are those plans that only call for an oil analysis after failure so they have no baselines on what happened before what did not happen what was happening during the process (laughs) and they just say okay it's failed let's get an oil analysis and let's find out what happened afterwards so uh, that's we we always we will we will come across those no matter what, what, but our job, like you said, our job is to educate them and to get them on board with having proper reliability practices.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and how important is you know sampling on a regular basis in an oil analysis program?
1: Oh, that's critical, very very critical. So. What I would do is, again, it depends on your industry or it depends on your components that you have. So if I'm looking at turbines, for instance, those are very critical, but their, their lifespan in terms of the oil lifespan may be about two or three years, five years, depends on synthetic or mineral. So what I would do for those is that I would run the general tests, like the, the normal spectrum spectrum on it spectrum. Yeah, yep. you know what I'm talking about? Spectroscopy. Um, <laughs> those
0: spectroscopy.
1: <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and those the metals, the um different uh, contaminants, the tan, the viscosity, those are basic tests that I would run for those maybe every month but when you're talking about turbine oils, you're talking about rpvots or mpcs qsa's and those are pretty expensive so if i would have to do that for a turbine oil user what i may do is run those bigger tests the rpvot mpcs and whatnot uh at the very beginning so maybe a month from starting to use the oil so that we have a proper baseline we know what we're um gauging against and then i would run that up to every six months or so just so that we have a a proper health check on the turbine oil those are not ones i will do every month (laughs) because i think their prices are a bit steep and some companies may not want to do that all the time so i would put that yeah it's wow when those, those prices are a bit expensive. And with Trinidad, uh, some of those tests in particular, we have to ship the samples out. So there are no local labs that may be able to perform that. So those are factors that we would have to consider as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, w- when I go out and I do audits, typically, like we're on the same baseline, like for turbines, I'm recommending... Uh, for fluid life, it's called the mm-hmm. Plant Three package. Uh, it includes, you know, the spectroscopy, uh, acid number, yeah, and a few other tests. But it's basic stuff every month, and then it's yeah. around six months to a year, uh, depending uh-huh. on the customer. I'll I'll recommend the turbine package that has the RPVOT, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the other tests, and and it is like it is expensive the the that yeah. test but I mean it makes sense like the testing is expensive um, just example for the RPVOT, like you're using uh, copper wire and then the test itself mm-hmm. takes about a week to run yeah
1: so it does. so it's uh,
0: it's expensive to run it's not it's not like uh, the wear metals where it really just kind of fires it off and it's it's a test that takes under 30 seconds to run.
1: So it depends on the customer. You have to build your frequency depending on your customer, like the application of the equipment, you know, and the criticality of the equipment. So if I had to do an oil analysis program for someone, the first thing I would assess is the criticality of the equipment, uh, the applications, and then determine the the perfect or good balance of sampling times. Because then they have their own uh, maintain on schedules that you have to take into consideration as well.
0: <laughs> so something something I wanted to ask you about was so where do you think reliability is going in Trinidad? Like I, I have my perspective from you know the plants that I see in North America uh, but where do you think it's going in the Caribbean?
1: Uh, in the Caribbean we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're definitely we will, we will get there eventually where we need to be. But I think right now, uh, because technology has been evolving so much, and I would say in our personal lives, we use a lot of tech. We Everything is connected via the internet. So we're trying to bring some of that onto our workplace or the plants. So a lot of plants are now trying to adapt some of that technology. And uh, while some of the plants may be pretty old, uh, it's a bit difficult for them to incorporate it fully. So what I'm seeing is that they're tackling smaller areas. So they're going to do um, a budget for one, a small upgrade. So to get one part of the plant fully automated in that their samplings and different sort of, um, like their... um oh my gosh, vibration, analysis, those sort of things, they are now getting into that, streamlining it. So I think maybe within the next five to 10 years, we may not be using as much humans to do these things. <laughs> so it's definitely taking a shift toward that. But I think that we have some groundwork to cover before we get there because we can't just upgrade completely and we ha- we've lost all the basics. So I would prefer that they get the basics right, space, <laughs> and then upgrade accordingly. But definitely, over the next five to ten years, a lot of things would be um, going into the I would see direction.
0: Yeah, that's something that I kind of gripe with is is a lot of people and a lot of plants, especially especially now, like recently, like I did a presentation on machine learning at uh, the Reliability Conference about a month ago. And I'll be talking again about it in two weeks or so at the SMRP. And people are really excited about applying machine learning. People are really excited about, um, you know, online vibration sensors that connect to the cloud and then have an AI platform and kind of diagnose failures. Um, and it, it's it's really no different mm-hmm. than when you were talking about, you know, people don't know how to do root cause because they're just looking at the cause at the end. It, it's really like that. It's like you can detect failures yeah. from a predictive maintenance perspective a lot easier now, but it doesn't fix the fact that maybe the guy who's putting the lube in put the wrong lube in.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Like it it doesn't fix the root cause. It doesn't fix like, yes. Okay. You'll save money on, um, you know, like rush spare parts and and that kind of stuff. Like the, the, the fact that you're doing unplanned maintenance versus now you're doing planned maintenance a little bit, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, you're still not going to see that great reduction in cost because you haven't improved, like you haven't fixed the root cause. You've kind of put a bandaid over it.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: So it's still, like, that's kind of the genesis. Like, I wanted to kind of start start putting out content for, for people is we need to really be better as an industry and take more onus on ourselves to kind of make our customers or make our own site better.
1: Yes, I agree completely. I definitely agree with that. We need to get this sorted.
0: <laughs> so... One of the one of the final things we'll talk about here is what kind of critical do you have a couple of critical tips that people can go back to their site or to their customers and really implement to boost their reliability
1: uh, yes uh, um, don't think that the issue that your plant is facing is unique <laughs> while it may, <laughs> while it may sound unique there is another plant out there that has gone through this they've conquered it and they've used different techniques to get to where they need to be so i would say always reach out uh don't keep yourself boxed in in terms of just relying on your people that are within your organization to help solve the problem reach out to other people uh we have the internet for that (laughs) (laughs) and we're all very much more connected now than we were years ago so use that resource um explore different options what's going on in in the world today so that will help you to sort of bridge your gaps to let you know that okay another plant uh, halfway around the world is doing this same thing but they're doing it better and this is what they've done so maybe we can try implementing something like that not necessarily that but because we have to tailor it according to our conditions uh, maybe we can implement that in our plant and it can actually help us. And the other thing would be just talk to your OEMs. Oh my gosh. They are uh, they are boosted with knowledge. And the thing about OEMs is that they actually create different components. And they create it to work in different environments and different conditions. So they are actually the gatekeepers of knowing what your limits are with your different components so if you wanted if you were having a problem with a different component and they could say okay well we have a guy in this part of the world that is using it in the same application maybe you can talk to him instead you know so i would say we should say oems and just keep 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 an open mind and when you're trying to solve problems (laughs) and reach out to people reach out to people so, cuz that's the easiest way to get it done
0: yeah i think i think our industry as a whole is fairly open but i do also see like i do see people who think that they're a unique butterfly at their site and they're the only ones <laughs> I, like i even hear this a lot when i get phone calls where people are asking me about different lubrication questions or different oil analysis questions mhm they'll they'll say to me, they're like, well, we're the only ones that are doing an oil drain extension (laughs) and I can name, you know, five to 10 customers off the top of my head that are also doing one. And so it's kind of like, we need to talk. And and that's why I like, I like our industry. We have conferences like reliability web offers, you know, two conferences a year. SMRP offers a conference. There's a lot of great ones Mm -hmm. to go to. And especially now with LinkedIn, there's no real excuse to not have a community to talk to.
1: I agree, I definitely agree. We've like, we've evolved a lot. And that's what I like the fact that we we use technology in that manner to try and figure out, you know, how to be better, how to fix different things.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. It's really great.
1: Yeah, love it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the last thing, so, Before you leave, I mean, first of all, congratulations on starting your own company. That's really awesome. Thank you. (laughs) And so why don't you let our audience know, you know, what do you got going on? What can they be a part of? How do you know as part of your company?
1: Well, uh, if you want to find out more information about us, you can just check us out online. Uh, We're at com, or if it's easier for you, you could just Look for me on LinkedIn at Sanya Matura and you can find me and I have all my contact information there. And right now we have a couple of exciting things going on. Uh, in July, we will be having the first RCM3 workshop in Trinidad, which is very, very exciting because I like the fact that we can actually certify people now. And it's the first time that we have RCM3 coming to Trinidad, so very excited about that. And we have Carlo Odari. He would be our facilitator. Then in August, we have our friends at Reliability Center Incorporated. They were here earlier in Trinidad and they are going to be back again in August. And we're going to be doing Proact RCA methods. And we're also going to do a basic failure analysis workshop. Awesome. Which I think would be very, very pertinent to the industry right now. Because we have a lot of guys that are they're the first on the scene of a failure and they just need to know what happened. Let's fix it. Let's go forward. So I love the fact that we have those two workshops coming up in the very near future. And it's going to be very, very exciting, extremely exciting. Yeah. That should,
0: that should provide a lot of value.
1: <laughs> oh yes. I'm just, I, I can't wait for people to come and enjoy these workshops. I think my main takeaway from it is that after the workshop has ended i have the participants come up to me and they say oh my god Sunny, i didn't know this is all that i was missing i was on all the time <laughs> so that is that is that's
0: fun. <laughs>